Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast. My two guys are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I have been feeling a little out of touch with the. Uh, oh no, with, Adam! Out of touch with what? Well, if you if you'll let me finish, <laughs> the uh, those who we might call uh, the Deep Space Nine higher powers. Oh, would you say you've got a big rod-shaped hole in your soul? <laughs> yeah, I really do. Uh, it's a it's a hole that can only be filled through uh, the judicious study of the Bible. Would you like to do some Star Trek DS9 Bible study with me? Hell yeah. It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's... The way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Of course, uh, when we're doing Bible study, we are reading the show Bible of the show in question. Uh, In this case, Adam, you have a copy of the Deep Space Nine show Bible. Sure do. Uh, For today's reading, (laughs) I have... (laughs) Turn to the page on Jadzia Dax. Ooh. She's been coming up quite a lot lately. And sometimes not at all. (laughs) Her chapter begins, Science officer rank of lieutenant, an alien woman, very attractive, late 20s. (laughs) Got to include that. With a very implausible hair bump. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quickly flip around to the other characters and see if anyone else gets a uh, a description of attractiveness. Yeah. Ben Sisko is is described as gentle, strong, soft-spoken, demeanor belying a temper that he's constantly trying to control. Uh, Major Kira does not have a physical description. Wow. Miles O'Brien, he's described as an Irishman and a man's man. <laughs> Odo, alien male, curmudgeon. Julian Bashir gets human male mid-twenties. Yeah, that's fucked up. Jadzia Dax is the only one who gets the very attractive modifier. I had a uh, experience recently where I'd, I'd come off of reading like five books in a row that were written by women, and then I read a like the next novel I picked up was by a dude and it was like I felt like I was going through the bends like realizing how much page space is given up to describing Mm -hmm. the physical appearance of women in Ben's writing it's like something I'd like read about like the phenomenon but I just like made like a total object lesson for myself by accident I don't remember who sent in this note to us, but someone wrote in and said, hey, I really appreciate uh, how you guys describe people on Friendly Fire because you guys are are very quick to call a man attractive when that strikes you. And I think that that's like a good thing that you guys are comfortable in doing that you don't make weird. And I don't know if we replied or not, but like my feeling on the matter was that like... (laughs) I don't do I don't do it out of a sense of uh, of righteousness or being even-handed in how I describe gender. I think uh, I do it from just feeling less attractive than than actor people. So that's why I do it. It doesn't make me a good person. Yeah, I, I, that was one of those ones where it was calling my attention to something that I wasn't even really aware that we were doing. Yeah, Bandex is a trill. That's a joint species first encountered in the Star Trek TNG episode, The Host. The trill is comprised of two separate but interdependent entities, a host and a symbiont. The host provides a humanoid body. The symbiont is an invertebrate androgynous life form that lives within the host. It looks like a short, fat snake. What? I think there's an animal that it looks like, but snake is not what I would pick. Snake is far easier to pronounce. (laughs) Check this out. Many centuries ago, the Symbionts lived underground while the humanoids were on the surface. And due to an environmental disaster, they were forced to join in order to survive. Do you think that there was a nubbin bug-like takeover when the Symbionts realized that they could join? If you put the Trill Symbiont, the nubbin bug, 
and the SETI eel in a room and like put a broken pool cue in the middle? <laughs> Who do you think crawls out of that room? I think that's symbiont, right? Because it's got that club-like tail. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. The result of the joining is a serene character who brings a calm-centered voice to any discussion. One that is patient, confident, and wise. You might think of Dax as an ancient Zen master in the body of a 28-year-old woman. (laughs) There is a subtle conflict within or a generation gap, if you will. The older symbiont suppresses the youthful instincts of the host. And so sometimes she will seem controlled when a part of her really would like to let go. Adam, it's interesting you bring up that inner struggle, because I feel like that's something that's been paid lip service to previously. Yeah. You know, where Cisco calls her old man and stuff, but I feel like it hasn't been fully three-dimensional until maybe this episode. The last paragraph in the show Bible about her is interesting. It says her sexually appealing new form will create a certain tension between her and Cisco, which they will both resist. After all, he's still having a hard time getting used to the fact that she's a 300-year-old worm. <laughs> I've don't think I've ever gotten any sense of sexual tension between them. I haven't either, and I think that that's one of the things that I like most about their relationship, is that they have a such a platonic relationship. I don't get the satisfaction of two characters having a platonic relationship the same way that I do with uh, Guinan and Picard. Like, there is a there's a guardrail on the relationship and it is the the worm in the room. <laughs> they don't tweak on that nearly enough, I think. Yeah. Interesting that that should be the the page we read today, Adam, because we've got a very Dax-centric episode coming up. It's true. It's episode 17 of season two. It's called Playing God. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. We got Bashir coming back from something, and a uh, a Trill initiate named Arjun is traveling with him. It seems like they're they're having the conversation of two people who sort of struck up a conversation on the plane and then realized they were kind of going to the same thing halfway through that conversation. And then you feel like you're stuck. Yeah, a little bit awkward. Like, ah, uh, like, are we gonna now share the lift into town? This is why you never talk to the people in your row. Right. Not even once. Not even once. <laughs> and while we're speaking about ways to behave on planes, Adam, we also don't recline our chairs on planes. Ever. Ever. You think this is a joke right now or a bit? No. Nope. It's not a joke. Not a bit. Don't recline your seat. Don't recline your seat on an airplane. So they start walking around on the station and uh, Arjun is like, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here a little early, obviously. Uh, I'll figure out where Dax is in the morning. I'm sure she's asleep at this point. And Bashir's like, are you kidding? Judge is a night owl. And uh, he asks the computer to tell him where Dax is, and turns out she is in Quark's bar. Ah, of course. Who do you think on DS9 can just, you know, get on an elevator and ask the computer where somebody else is? Like, is that restricted? If just, if like Morn got on the elevator and asked where Dax is, would it tell him? If Morn were to do that, those would be his first words on the series. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> sorry, Morn. It's just not in the budget. <laughs> I've got to believe that's the case. Is uh, is you're locked out at a certain level. That's got to be a really good Siri situation, right? Yeah. Like uh, I recently got a home assistant speaker. Oh, one really? Of, Which one? I got the uh, the Apple one. And uh, there's a, a part of the setup process where it asks if it should be able to, like, send texts on your behalf and stuff. And I just thought about it for, like, a nanosecond and thought about the idea of somebody, like, as a bit sitting in my living room going, Hey, Siri, tell my mom to go fuck herself. And <laughs> it's sending my mom a text to that effect. And I was like, of course, I will not turn that on. <laughs> You know? The question is always asked so innocently, too. Yeah. like the. Would you like us to help you out with a potentially embarrassing situation? Right. But it's like uh, the voice-activated computers of our era can't distinguish between two different voices, apparently. Hello, computer. I want to make it clear. <laughs> that was not branded content, and we were not told to talk about the the Apple productivity device. 
though we would. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I it's uh, the the voice activated part of it is like not even really a selling point for me. Just use the keyboard. Yeah, we have one of those too, and I'm still not over the how cheesy it feels to talk to it part. Yeah, it's quite. I'll be alone asking it to do something, and I still feel that wince of of uh, of shame. Yeah. On Star Trek, it looks cool, you know? And like yeah. it, when I imagine a future where you could have that kind of productive conversation with a computer, like everyone's enjoying it because it's productive and good. One of the main reasons why it's so uh, uncomfortable now is because it just, it's uh, it's so imperfect. And that sense of discomfort being a reliable part of communicating with it makes it like, Something I don't want to try to communicate with. (laughs) Right. I think we should talk about Arjun because Arjun is the main character of this episode. Yeah. Arjun has an Emilio Estevez haircut. Emilio! (laughs) The club is closed, folks. He is wearing a sack. (laughs) Yeah, he he went to J-Press Starfleet (laughs) edition. Yeah, that is not a soft shoulder on that sack. No, but it fits a man. (laughs) And he is there to do a form of interview with Jadzia Dax, who who is regarded as sort of a docent for potential Trill candidates. And her reputation is not good, Ben. When I was told that Jadzia Dax had been designated my field docent, I asked for reassignment. The previous Dax, Curzon Dax had a reputation for bouncing people from the symbiote joining training program. Yeah. And uh, this is something we learned about a little in the episode where the guy tried to heist the ankylosaur. (laughs) But uh, there's a whole ritualized, almost Starfleet Academy-like situation where, like, only the best and the brightest get to become joined Trill. There is a really pronounced conflict between the two right away and it is confidence versus deferential right dax has the benefit of hundreds of years of life experience and having been through the trill program and uh arjun is like job interview bland he's (laughs) he's trying to appear as though uh he's agreeable He's like on his best behavior. He's very successful and not interesting in the way that most very successful people are. And so whenever they're in a scene together, it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, they come in and Jadzia is in the midst of a game of tango with the with the Ferengi and doing kind of a dick gambling move, which is giving up Quark's tell to everybody. Yeah, that's no good. Like, if you learn somebody's tell in gambling, you don't then just announce it to the table, do you? The rule is this. You spot a man's tell, you don't say a fucking word. You keep it like a secret until that person's out of money. That's an advantage that you don't want everybody else to have. Yeah. Bashir introduces Arjun to her, and very quickly she really turns into the big dog, doesn't she? It doesn't help that Arjun approaches her as the little dog. Right. It does have the feeling of, like, guy who read BuzzFeed article about how to do great in a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, her being the wizened Zen master that uh, she's described as in the in the Bible really comes through here, and that's really fun to see. It's It's such a different status disposition for her character. Yeah, it's not just a line item in her bio. It's, she's actually making decisions based on that. And it's fun. It's really fun to see. Yeah. Ben, this is an episode with three storylines, a lot like the episode that came before. There's a, there's this main one, which is the Arjun storyline. Uh, the B story is the infestation <laughs> of, of Deep Space Nine with the Cardassian Vole. It has a lot of stakes in common with the previous episode which is that there aren't any stakes basically you rarely get like a scene with a rubber chicken in science fiction (laughs) but you get a couple of rubber chicken scenes in deep space nine in this episode having to do with this vole 
Yeah, and you get Major Kira and Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. But scene. Yeah, that's as, as part and parcel of the rubber chicken scene. Like, it's maybe the most comedy heavy episode that we've seen yet. It's comedy, but like you never see comedy, but in Star Trek, do you? Or or body comedy, even for that matter. Right. Yeah. It's it's an unusual place to go, but like it it really works in this episode. It's not like it's not out of character comedy. No, because it's not just look at Kira and O'Brien's butts. Yeah. It's they've got their faces in conduit trying to <laughs> trying to get Cardassian voles out. Yeah, and the Cardassian voles are apparently attracted to electromagnetic fields or something. And the story is that a lot of the station hasn't really been in use for a long time. And as the population of the station expands, they're moving into sections that have been out of use. And that is driving the voles into populated areas of the station where previously they were kind of a problem that they didn't have to deal with. And uh, these voles kind of look like Falcor on a miniature scale. Yeah, like shaved Falcor. <laughs> Do you think that it's naked because he hit it with the phaser and it like burned its fur off? Phaser's unstunned, Mr. O'Brien. I want those voles taken alive. I mean, I don't know, only because we see another one later that looks exactly the same. I guess they both could have met the same demise. Or Adam, and just hear me out here. It's the same prop, just used again in a different scene. <laughs> Do you think the guy who runs the Klingon buffet sees this as an opportunity? <laughs> yeah, it would have been pretty fun to get him, like, seeing a fool run through the, the kitchen and then, like, licking his lips, like, mmm. Vol's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So... We get a, a little hang where Dax and Arjun head into the Gamma Quadrant to do some research or some fucking thing. And uh, it's more an opportunity for Arjun to kind of reveal to Dax how much, how much like Facebook stalking he's been doing on her. Right. He knows what bikini she wore to the beach three years ago in a way that is fairly upsetting to her. It's unclear whether or not he's gone full Geordie on her. <laughs> but it sounds like it could be close. <laughs> yeah, like why why, why specifically the beach photos do you know so much about Arjun? If this is someone that we're rooting for, this doesn't help us like him either. No. Like the hero's journey is a form of this, right? Right. But even with the hero's journey, I think we start out rooting for the hero. Right. The, the monomyth doesn't begin with the character creeping on his mentor and then and then the call to action <laughs> maybe it should you know maybe the post 2018 version of of the monomyth will right now that we have social media we should we should take the monomyth back to the drawing board please do joseph campbell get in here we've got some, some updates for you New edition, <laughs> with forward by Ben and Adam. <laughs> oh, man, this could be our path to a million dollars. We we just republish the hero of a thousand faces, but do like a, a an intro with tons of bits. Yeah, that college tour would go really great for us. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I've heard uh, I've heard all the comedians say you never play colleges because they're too PC, Adam. And PC culture is killing comedy. Oh, I meant uh, I meant as visiting professors. <laughs> I think that we would be even more vulnerable in that case. TBH. You know, a uh, friend of the show, Sarus Faravar, just recently went on a little uh, on a college tour of his own for his uh, his brand new book, Habeas Data. And that's true. I mean, there's a guy we could probably ask about what it's like to speak to college students. That guy knows what's up. He could probably plug us right in. Yeah, habeas data, you should uh, definitely consider getting a copy of if you are a legal and privacy nerd. Sarus did like a ton of research about kind of the modern history of data pri data and privacy. Uh, one person who has no interest in reading that book is Arjun, based <laughs> on what he's done here 
with Dax. Yeah, I think that he made this mistake of hearing Dax's reputation as being a kind of combative teacher and came in kind of ready for combat. Over the past 200 years, Dax has personally eliminated 57 host candidates from the program. Like, he didn't even give Dax a chance to just like him for who he was. He He's... I think that that, like, milquetoast aspect of his character is him being defensive. You think? That's my personal take on it, Adam. I don't know. Most of the hyper-nice people I've known in my life have also (laughs) had that moment where they have exploded. Not at me, but, like, I've just seen it happen. Right. Which, from that point forward, has always indicated to me, like, those that are the most deferential on the surface often have the most hostility or anger or or whatever brewing beneath that and that's sort of what i was expecting from arjun from jump in this scene we get kind of a a backstory banger from (laughs) jedzia backstories back all right Which is that uh, pre-Jedzia, Dax Jedzia, when she was in the initiate program, actually trained under Curzon Dax, and Curzon Dax did not recommend her to advance in that program. And no sooner has she dropped that banger than the runabout drops its own banger. I've got it. Engaging manual stabilizers. I like this. It's good good retcon for for Dax. Like it, it really makes it interesting. The idea of of a internal resentment between Jedzia and Curzon, who both wound up like sharing the same personality. Yeah, I really like this a lot. They're uh, they're in the Gamma Quadrant. The ship is shaking all around. They like they get it back right, and they uh, they realize they've been hit. Something hit their ship. And Arjun calls Jazdia's attention to a, an exterior camera on the runabout, and it shows that they have an unknown mass on their starboard nacelle. Yeah, right on the tip. Yeah, what you want to do is roll each nacelle between your fingers, and if you find an unknown mass, you want to see an oncologist. <laughs> <laughs> every every day when you take a shower, Adam, I would recommend that procedure. You know, real talk, I haven't done that in a long time. I should, uh, I should really. Yeah. But let's make a new shirt. Uh, <laughs> testicular Shimoda. <laughs> One of the most singularly humiliating moments in my entire life was when my mom gave me like a... You know those cards that you hang on the on the doorknob in a hotel to say do not disturb or do not turn down my room or whatever? Yeah. She gave me that but like a plastic version and it was the testicle self exam. <laughs> Where did she even get one of those? I don't know. Yeah, she just came home, you know, it was like home after school, high school then and uh hey, uh why don't you hang this in the uh, in the shower? Oh no! Yeah, like did it have a little hook for the for the faucet? Yeah, it's like the the thing that you hang on a doorknob, <laughs> but but in plastic with the testicle self exam like lion art comic on it. Here's a happy little bush. Got a little arm. It comes out through there. Did you get the sense that she had this made, or was this a buy it off the rack situation? It seemed this seemed like something that was like available in a doctor's office and she brought one home for me hey uh you mind if i take one of those home with me (laughs) ma'am i just did your examination i'm fairly certain that that this is not going to be a risk for you (laughs) 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 and so did you did you like hang it in your shower i guess i did yeah i mean it's still in there (laughs) It's still in there? I think so. Wow. That's a real commitment. I mean, it it's not a commitment. I hung it up when I was 15 and it's, you know, not a shower that other people are using. So, it really says a lot about the durability of that little sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really remarkable sign. Come to 
This mass, as you would predict, Adam, uh, has messed up their ship quite a bit, and they have to uh, head back to Deep Space Nine. So as they're heading back, we we cut to ops where O'Brien is, you know, he's pulling dead voles out of the out of the works left and right, and Cork uh, is up there to lodge a complaint about the uh, the voles that are. Uh, running around his bar, causing him to have a lower health department rating than he would normally be getting. Yeah. I mean, have we talked about the differences in health department ratings that you get in Seattle versus any other place in that Seattle has the face system? (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. Seattle has an emoji-based health department rating, right? I feel like that's uh, homo sapien normative. Like, we could never do that at Quark's Bar, right? Oh, yeah, because... people have all kinds of faces at yeah. Quark's Bar. A lot of people in Quark's Bar don't have two eyes and nose and a mouth. Yeah. Yeah, so they're probably later grading that, right? Yeah. More broad comedy here out of Quark, because uh, one of the one of the ding-dongs that O'Brien's messing around with uh, to, to solve for the vole problem is like, uh, you know, like those whistling peat fireworks that just... <laughs> <laughs> that you light them and then they just start screaming. <laughs> That's what he's got, and he trains it on Quark, and it just takes him to the ground. Yeah. I like the idea that in the 24th century, this might actually work, because you do see this in the hardware store. They, like, get rid of bugs and mice by plugging this into your wall outlet and forgetting about mm-hmm. it. That doesn't fucking work. No. Now, anything you have to forget about isn't going to work. No. Yeah. I do really like this problem being biological instead of technological. Like so often in a Star Trek episode, it's like, can we solve the engineering of this? Yeah. But the idea of an infestation seems like a pretty fresh idea. I also like to see Gully Vec kind of like uncommented on. They like (laughs) blow in a complaint to Gully Vec and he's like, yeah, sorry, tough, (laughs) tough tits. All sales are final. Yeah. But uh, this conversation is kind of cut short when Dax and uh, her little symbiont trainee come back through the wormhole with the damaged uh, shuttle. And uh, they've got to be, like, towed in and put put down in, like, stasis because the unknown mass... Oh, got caught in a grill. Oh. I got I to gotta hack it off. ...is still lodged in their, in their engine. So she wants to study this thing. She describes it as a as subspace seaweed. Yeah. Like some kind of, uh, like she's going to make some kind of subspace sushi with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one person who probably wouldn't be interested in making such a role is the owner operator of the Klingon buffet. Yeah. Complete with, uh, with chafing dishes, like filled with dry ice. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good stuff. He really loves him some Dax because she taught him a Klingon song he didn't know. Uh, She sings it with him a bit. She does not really have the voice for Klingon opera. I really love this scene. I really love this guy. It actually made me want to dig into what this guy's deal was. Ben, this is his last appearance on the show. Oh, no. So RSVP Klingon buffet guy. We hardly knew him. RSVP... Ron Taylor. Holy shit. He was in Trading Places. That's a great credit. Yeah. He was like one of the one of the tough uh, gangster guys, right? Yeah. Twin Peaks. ER. NYPD Blue. Matlock. Night Court. Miami Vice. Good job by you, Ron Taylor. Look at you, Ron Taylor. I mean, this guy's got a ton of charisma. Like the Klingon restaurateur is... A character that I am shocked to hear we are not going to get any more of after season two. I am too. I, I think of Deep Space Nine. I think of him as being part of the texture of it. Like, yeah. how how many episodes has he been on? He's fucking made his mark. Especially because of how much we enjoy shopkeeper culture and how often they rely on it to further a story. Yeah. It, it's one of the things I like most about this show is that, like, there are so many potential Guinans, you know? Right. 
So many potential Barber Mots. I don't know, man. I mean, if you have 26 episodes in a season to break stories on, I don't know why you don't give yourself more options. Like, right. you could totally bottle episode this guy in a really fun way. I don't know why you don't take that opportunity. Bottle episode every store on the promenade. Like, let's get to know the place, you know? To get a shopkeeper bottle every season, I think, would be really satisfying and only add to the to the totality of the culture that lives on the station. Yeah. Well, this scene is about Dax kind of prying into Arjun's motivations for being in the symbiont program at all, because it's a pretty competitive sport from what she's described. Like there's tons and tons of people that want to get paired and very few ankylosaurs to go around. And I think what she's looking for here is somebody who's got a lot of drive and a lot of drive in a very specific direction. And that's kind of who she is, but it's not really who he is. Like he's talented and ambitious, but you know, he doesn't want know what he wants to be when he grows up yet. I think we've met this person in college. The, the person who is confidently pursuing a collegiate track that leaves his options open and right. someone who's just floating from major to major, not really knowing what they would like to do. And Arjun is definitely the latter of the two. I think it would have helped if if his description of his own ambitions were a little stronger. I think you can make the case for an open-ended life in a way that sounds inspiring and interesting. He's just unable to do that. How did it work for you in college? Were you Did you know what you wanted to do the entire time? Or did you select a major at some point? I selected many majors, thinking that at the time that was going to be the one for me. Wow. I I started as a political science major, and then I was an English major, and then I was a film major, and then I ended up a communications major. Man, I applied directly into my major. So I never, it was never even a subject that came up. But yeah, like the, the main focus of my studies was decided from, you know, from freshman orientation. I really, uh, from a very early. Time, Like I would say even before getting to college, I was really excited about the idea of taking a lot of different classes. Mm-hmm. Like I took art history classes and foreign language classes and film classes all in the same year. It wasn't because I felt unfocused, but I really felt like a part of being in college was to find out about all kinds of things and not specialize right away. I, I was envious of those that did, though. I was... Very sure I was going to be a political science major when I selected it, and then I just changed my mind. Yeah. Like, I was sure I was going to be all of these things at the time that I chose them. Well, I've always felt like my self-assurance in what I wanted to do when I went to college was a big help to me because I didn't ever wind up taking a lot of classes on something that that didn't help me ultimately graduate. But I think that a lot of people just don't know yet, you know, and that's something I I learned later in life. And, you know, like my brother-in-law is, is getting an MBA like a few years after having graduated from college and not really known what he wanted to do for years after college. Like, I think that Jadzia in this scene is being a little judgmental of somebody that like wasn't lucky enough to know exactly what they were heading toward early yeah. on the tension in jadzia dax is interesting to me because at a at a few different points her desire to to be jadzia dax and to be that more than the other daxes that her worm was inside <laughs> has her deny her interest in being in being an individual that it, that acts separately from that reputation yeah but that's something that i think I really value about her character is that she is learning how to do this yeah. in, in a way that is so interesting as a character. Like it's, it's so well written because it's like learning how to do this despite being 300 years old and also 28 years old, you know? Yeah. She is navigating a new persona for herself. Don't forget very, very attractive, Ben. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Like, all, all of this complicated three-dimensional character stuff, but also super fuckable. <laughs> so her relationship with Arjun, there's like a polarity to it, right? 
Yeah, it gets complicated. The road trip part is Jadzia Dax being encouraging and, and being a good listener and trying to figure out what Arjun's about. And then later on in the lab when they're studying the, uh, the space seaweed, uh, she turns back into the ball breaker of her reputation. And this is the point where Arjun is like feeling manipulated because yeah. Arjun thinks that Dax is the Dax that, that he talked to in the runabout, but Dax contains multitudes. And this version of, of Dax, he finds very aggressive and it stirs up some feelings in Arjun that, that manifest in a, a shouting match. You know what? I'll go somewhere and I'll do some. Maybe I'll run away and you can never find me. That scene is is intense because it's like, I mean, she's she's had the, she's kind of gotten the counsel from Cisco. Like, if he's not going to cut it, like, you should bring that to his attention. And uh, instead of just breaking it to him or talking to him about, like, you know, like, she, it's like the fucking push a t drake disc track like it's it's like uh just relentless and brutal that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah i mean she she uh she finds every point of weakness and exploits it for everything it's worth yeah more like jadzia disc track <laughs> yeah i thought you were a science officer in the federation not a member of the clips what they find out about the space seaweed is that it is a proto-universe in the early stages. And this is a big problem because uh, the thing about universes in the early stages is that they grow. They tend to make fairly large bangs. Yeah. And uh, this becomes a problem because a uh, in a rare crossover between the deep C storyline and the A storyline is that one of these Cardassian voles has uh, has chewed through a wire that like released the containment field around this thing, and so it keeps expanding and expanding. It like blows out a wall, and then it blows out a window, and then it blows out a section. Like it, it's uh, every time every time it grows, and it, it's growing at like a predictable rate, but it's like all at once. Like every few hours, it's like growing a bunch and it isn't long before they detect life inside it and so it sort of pivots this scientific problem into an ethical problem pretty fast they come up with a way to oh yeah if we just put it in a small enough container essentially it will expand itself to death like the like it'll try and grow and it won't have anywhere to go and that will destroy it it becomes a very tng style you know, we we think that this might be life, and therefore uh, we have to do everything we can to preserve it. But it's also an existential threat to the station. And I mean, this isn't just alluded to. There are conversations about killing it before it kills them. Right. I mean, Cisco comes to a decision about whether or not to exterminate it. In and in so doing, like he. He he compares his decision to to like the Borg's indifference in exterminating humans. Like it it really goes there. Citing the Borg was such a good call in this storyline, and it's a it's that good call that we've been looking for in yeah. previous episodes that didn't happen. Yeah. That has to be the lens through which Ben Sisko sees so much of the world, and yeah. the fact that it is brought up here is like yes, absolutely. I want to uh, I want to call attention to the explosion that happens uh, in the lab when this thing grows and 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 busts out of its containment field. Yeah, really nice practical explosion inside the lab, and then they intercut it with an exterior hull breach that looks really good, like really good sequence here. Yeah, pretty awesome special effects overall in this episode. Like, yeah, we get a a, a pretty cool scene between Arjun and Quark. Where we find Arjun in the in the bar drinking the blue drink of career despair, <laughs> and uh, Quirk comes up to him to do kind of a pep talk. Was this worst pep talk ever? <laughs> I think when you're when you're feeling bad, camaraderie can often help. And and so Quirk, uh, by the end of this conversation, welcomes Arjun into the failed ambition club of which he is a a founding member on the station. 
<laughs> like they trade the the currency of of high expectations and failed realizations. Quark shares a pretty interesting story about like he was on the right track for a time. He was on his way to really being something in the in the Ferengi economic universe. He was the special summer intern of the subnegus of region something. Yeah. All it took was uh, was him sticking his dick in a place it shouldn't go. Never have sex with the boss's sister. To uh, to <laughs> tumble him all the way into Deep Space Nine. Never an explanation of why Quark failed that I ever expect is Quark had sex with someone. Yeah. Arjun's like, I've never had sex with anyone. <laughs> I don't really see how this comports, Quark. Quark, look at this haircut. Come on. You know I've never fucked. <laughs> All I've ever seen is Young Guns 2 on VHS. <laughs> and while we're talking about sequels, The Mighty Ducks 2. <laughs> this is a good scene, though. It was. It is a low-key, one of the best scenes in the ep, I think, is what happens in this bar. I, I really liked it, too. More and more. More Sweet. More more. More You need everybody? More and stop. So this expanding universe thing sets up stakes for the first time in this episode. Like we are literally like 20 minutes in before the first stakes happen in this episode. But it's like this thing's expanding and so we need to do something with it. And when they realize they can't kill it, it's a problem because if they try and take it through the wormhole... If it interacts with a certain structure in the wormhole, it will blow up and they think that the like explosive yield is enough to take out the entire system. All this is to say, like, I think they missed a little bit of opportunity for Kira to give emotional weight to that because it's taking out the entire system, which is which contains her home world, but also it takes out the most important location in her religion and she doesn't get to say a lot in the conversations about this. It also didn't make a lot of sense to me that their solution was to dump it in the Gamma Quadrant. Right, like, it's presumably going to get as big as a universe eventually. Yeah. So why is it just being over there on the other side of the galaxy a save? <laughs> this is why I came down on Kira's side, which is the uh, kill it before it kills us side, because... Everyone and everything is going to die if they let this thing grow. Well, you, like Kira, have a sort of native antipathy toward Federation dogma, so (laughs) (laughs) I guess I understand that, Adam. By saying that, though, I'm saying that the solution doesn't feel like a solution at all. It's not not a binary choice. Yeah. That's what doesn't make sense to me. Moving it neither saves them or kills it. It's a weird middle that doesn't even solve the problem. If you take their word for it, though, that it solves the problem, that is what the solution winds up being. But it's, like, easier said than done, right? They have to put this thing in a containment field and fly it through the wormhole. And the wormhole has something called Verderon nodes in it. And if this proto-universe touches a Verderon node, it will explode and it'll explode the wormhole and everything in the Bajoran system, so... It's because Verderon nodes are very sensitive, Ben, should you find one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which is just, never a sure thing. You, you roll the nacelle between your thumb and forefinger, and if you think you feel a <laughs> node, you go have someone look at it. That's all it is. It doesn't have to be weird. No, just, just make it a part of your routine. <laughs> and uh, there's been a little bit of discussion about what a great pilot Arjun is a little uh he's he's a little Luke Skywalkery and his self-assurance as a pilot and uh, it comes into play in the wormhole where he has to pilot the ship between all the Verderon nodes kind of just on thrusters in a way that sort of reminds me of the the booby trap episode of TNG yep uh where good callback it's like spheres in a three-dimensional space that they have to fly the ship through and it takes a damn good pilot to to steer around all of them but he manages to do it and they i guess dump the 
universe and clear out of there. This part is so weird and so unsatisfying for that yeah. reason. Like, they just drop it off, pull a 180, and head back. It's so wild, like, how awesome the special effects of this of the Verderon nodes are and the ship flying through them. Like, how awesome that part is, given how weak sauce it is in the script. I think it's one of the reasons why I don't think this is such a good episode. It's because everything leads up to this moment, and there's nothing in this moment that is satisfying or compelling at all. Now let's get this thing back where it belongs. I mean, what we do get is a scene where it becomes clear that Dax, you know, may have been inartful in the way she talked to Arjun uh, about the program, but it was all by way of her trying to kind of kick him in the back of the pants and show him that he needs to have a goal, have a reason for this, be, be in this for the right reasons and know what those reasons are. The conclusion that we're given here with respect to Arjun is that he is a changed person. Do you get the sense that he is in, in a demonstrable way other than posture? What's different about him is that he knows what the change needs to be. He, he can make that choice with his eyes open. Like, the thing that they've talked about is that he's kind of doing this because his father wanted him to. It's it's expected of him in a way. And you grow up doing everything that your parents arrange for you to do. And then at a certain point, you're an adult and you have to decide whether, like, at what point to stop doing the things that your parents have arranged for you to do and start doing the things that you're arranging for yourself. And yeah. that's a very difficult transition. And, and I think that's sort of what this episode's about. The thing that's the most clear at its conclusion is that Dax has been the one who's gone through the change more than Arjun, I think. Like, I agree. In terms of, of her, her self-knowledge. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? Chekhov's universe was was a real hang-up for me. <laughs> I think, Yeah. unfortunately, so much of what I cared about had to do with with the universe in the room. It seems like they could have written some techno babble to explain what they were doing they were also insufficiently impressed by it too they had an existential fear of it right like all you need in tng is to write like three sentences for peace to to do with a sense of wonderment yeah and you will get everything that is amazing about this universe no one expresses that wonder here. No yeah. one even says anything close to we've never seen anything like this. Just think of it, Will. An entire yeah. universe in the palm of your hand. I mean, there are scientists in the room. Right. And they don't express those feelings. So it's hard for me to feel them if no one else is expressing them. And so I think that is a major reason why I, I did not like the episode. What about you? It falls on the side of liking it for me. We talked about this recently, like the that low stakes Star Trek episode that doesn't matter that much either way. It's not the whole banana at stake the entire time. I mean, like eventually the stakes do get raised in this episode, but you never quite believe that they're going to let the Bajoran system get blowed up, you know? Do you think that's the problem, though? Like, by introducing a lower-stakes tone in the beginning, like with the Vols and with uh, with Dax gambling with the Ferengi, like, there's a, there's a stack of minor things happening that, like, in a way, like, the cold open in the first 15 of an episode, like, teaches you what it is. And because the existential threat isn't introduced until 40 minutes in, like... Could we never appreciate that because it's fun and games up until then? It's not about that for me. Like mm. those stakes getting raised then doesn't change the arc that the characters are on because the arc that the characters are on are kind of is kind of disconnected from that. And I like Arjun's story. I like Dax's story. I like what we learn about Dax in this episode. And I don't think that it's a great episode. And I think it's got a lot of pretty glaring flaws but from a character development standpoint i really liked it yeah fair enough ben you want to see if we have any priority one messages sure let's do it 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. Play on con. It's a four-day geek summer camp located in the North Georgia mountains. Whoa. Have your very own West Hot American summer with canoeing, <laughs> hey. arch- archery, tabletop gaming, parties, live music, and more. Play the Starship Bridge Simulator as a crew member aboard our familiar but legally distinct USS Entrepreneur. <laughs> Rent or share a cabin and join in the epic Color Wars competition. For more information or to book for yourself, you can visit playoncon.com. That's P L A Y O N C O N.com. Uh, that sounds super fun. I would say that. Uh... If anybody can successfully go there and convince everybody that their name is Wesley the entire time, they have my respect. (laughs) They don't have mine. (laughs) But it would give me a nice chuckle. Yeah. Uh, That sounds really fun. I wonder if they really call it the entrepreneur. That's that's awesome. I really wonder if there are Georgia mountains. Oh, I'm sure there's Georgia mountains, Adam. Until I see them for myself, I'm not sure I can believe that. So how do I get there? I go to playoncon.com? Playoncon.com to attend Playoncon. Playoncon? Play on con! Good for you, man. Good for you, good for you. And our next priority one message is of a warm-honeyed bosom nature. Mm. It's for Ben and Adam. Goes like this. P5. Janet Jackson killed the groundhog. Wyerton Willie. Ruining Canadian Rodentide. Let's see the Ocean's Eleven remake, Eleven Cheetles, starring Ten Don Cheetles and Don in a Binturong suit. Do you know how to work tenor GIF magic? Your pumpkin technique leads to breakage. Try grapefruit instead. May, <laughs> may your gait be stable and all your bones be covered. I feel like uh, the warm honeyed bosom is doing that thing where they play Mad Libs with a toddler, <laughs> and it just it, uh, doesn't know any of the parts of speech. Right, and then you read the thing at the end, and you just laugh at the absurdity, but not necessarily at the joke making. Right. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a real word salad. I mean, we edit this to uh, be the actual text of the P one, but. I really struggled to read through that because, <laughs> like, because there is no logic in it, you can't, like, predict what the next word you might have to read is. And my brain just doesn't work fast enough. Next time I'm about to go on stage, I'm going to bring one of these P1s as a linguistics exercise to do before <laughs> getting on mic. Like red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> yeah. That's it exactly. The tip of the tongue, the teeth, and the binturong. If you have a priority one message of your own, of either a commercial or personal nature, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where commercial messages are $200 and personal messages are an easy $100. They are a great, great way to help with the ongoing and costly production of the greatest generation. Thanks, guys. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Yeah, my Shimoda is anyone who chose not to step on the bug that is that universe. <laughs> Think you got to step on the bug, Ben. I'm sorry. I know it's fucked up, but it's, uh, it's universe versus universe, right? I know our universes can cross. They cross in midstream. It's a universe holocaust at that point. <laughs> It's it's messy. It, it, I think people would feel bad about it, but uh, who's to say that the people inside that mini universe aren't grappling with the same issue? Well, Adam, n- let it never be said that you wield any liberal guilt. <laughs> um. You virtue signaling fuck. <laughs> My drunk Shimoda is uh, a time code Shimoda. Uh, If you go to 15 minutes and about 20 seconds, uh, this is the scene in the Klingon restaurant where 
Dax and Arjun are having uh, their hang, and uh, there's a couple of Bolian olds in the background there, uh, presumably on a date or something. Yeah, and I see uh, him. the fella actually <laughs> feeds something to the lady. <laughs> That's great. And uh, you know, it's it kind of. Kind of reminded me of that thing that happens sometimes when I'm uh, out on a date with with the wife and we see an older couple kind of modeling healthy relationship (laughs) stuff between an older couple. And you say like, oh, look at them. They're so cute together. I hope we're like that when when we're that age, you know? And uh, I I like the idea of old Bolian people being, being the cute older couple you see out in a restaurant. Oh, Ben, they do it again. They get two takes of it at, at, at like 1540. Oh, really? So it makes me wonder how often or how many times they did that as background actors. Maybe uh, maybe in Bolian culture, women do not feed themselves. The, the man has to do it for them. Got to tell you, Ben, uh, that, is, that is one behavior that my wife and I do not model. She <laughs> hates to be fed. <laughs> especially like in the kitchen like just cooking stuff like oh taste this yeah she will not like aggressively against that i feel like i just don't trust myself with a fork and anything (laughs) like i'm barely not stabbing myself with a fork when i eat so i would be very worried to stab my wife with a fork if i uh if i held something out for her to taste I've never had that fear. Uh, Maybe I should ask her what happened to her. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's something she's uh, hanging on to from a long time ago. Point to the part of your tongue where the hot food burned you. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Then what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season two, episode 18, Profit and Loss. When Quark is reunited with the love of his life, a Cardassian who is now a fugitive, he is ready to sacrifice everything to win her back. That sounds great. That sounds pretty heavy, TBH. What does Netflix say? Netflix says... uh, Cisco and the ops crew pull in a small, severely damaged Cardassian vessel containing three passengers. <laughs> Those are the best. <laughs> oh, boy, that's fun. Yeah. It's not a bell I want to get stuck ringing every week, but that as clickbait. Like, come on, Netflix. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. <laughs> Uh, well, Adam, do you want to uh, find out what state of mind and or looking at each other during we will be when we record that episode? Yeah, we better. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Uh, we are on square 55. And uh, and that is, that is the meat in between two squares, one of which being looking at each other during... Yeah, which is only one square away. I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna do these clon pigs. You do that. You, you roll that dice. Oh Ben, the roll is one. <laughs> it is something that I think I have uh, I feared the most of yeah. all of these squares. Here's the thing, Adam. I, I happen to know that you're already coming to my neck of the woods for Max FunCon, which by the time this episode is out, I think will be in the rearview mirror. But it's actually, we don't actually have to buy any extra plane tickets this time. I think if you're going to do it, what better place? <laughs> looking forward to doing the next show, looking at each other during, Ben. Yeah, so, all right, man, well, that's the next one. Got to thank the people who makes this show possible. Yeah, we got to. I know who they are. They are the friends of DeSoto who go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and become monthly donors to the production of the program. They're the best and we couldn't do it without them. Yeah, support can come in a variety of forms though, Ben. Uh, one of which is a, is a tasty five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts that also accepts a rating and review. This is true. Uh, we should thank Dark Materia, who made the theme music for the program, and Adam Ragusia, who has made a wealth of musical creations for us, including most of the theme music you now hear on the show. Theme music for Greatest Gen Con 2017, which is on tour now. Now that it's 2018, go to greatestgencon.com to get information and tickets. I think... By the time this is out, there will be more shows announced, right? We're adding shows and we're selling out shows. Yeah. So uh, don't wait on these tickets, please. We're already getting emails from people that are like, hey, seriously, are you are you really sold out on these shows? Yes, the answer is we are really sold out on those shows, and we're sorry. I think the, I think the lesson here is make sure to prioritize getting the tickets when they get announced because... They, like we try and book 
shows and venues that we know we can get close to, if not fill. And uh, that's just because it is fun to do a show in a full room. So we're not booking rooms that have way more seats than we could ever hope to fill. And uh, and uh, that means most, if not all of them, will sell out eventually. So, To those people who had wanted to go to a show that is sold out, might I recommend Las Vegas? Yeah, that's coming up. What do you say we wrap it up there, Ben? Let's wrap it up, dude. If you want to talk online to us, I am on Twitter at Benjamin R-A-H-R and Adam is at Cut for Time. And you can use the hashtag GreatestGen and go to the Reddit group, the Facebook group, the Slack channel. Lots of places to hang out with the friends of DeSoto that are really fun and like non-shitty non-dark places on the internet they are not going to make you clench your jaw when you sleep at night you will not need to seek any any form of treatment for going on those websites and uh, that's one thing that we really value about them absolutely and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine in which one of the hosts becomes a fugitive, <laughs> leaving the other host to sacrifice everything to win him back. Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.